Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today is February 3rd, 2023, and it is our first official Black History Month on Podbean. (laughs) Along with the cases we will be covering, there are a few things I want to point out as well. Now, according to the data from the 2019 USA Census, people who are African-American make up about 13.4% of the United States population. However, nearly 40% of missing people are African-American. 33% of those numbers are missing children, mostly girls. And the sad reality of the situation, although there are many, many, many cases, a lot of them don't get the headlines or the attention or even the police coverage that is needed in such a case. Usually it's the parents or the family of the children that are making headway for these kids. That is very tragic indeed. As we are looking at all these statistics in the U.S. specifically, there is not a lot of media coverage out there that covers cases like this because of the ethnicity and it's important for people to understand that. In 2010, there was a study found that black children were significantly underrepresented in the TV and news, even though a third of the missing children in the FBI's database is of the African-American descent. They only make up about 20% of the missing children cases in the news and only 7% of the media references to these cases. Media helps the law enforcement. It also helps them gain pressure on top of them trying to take care of the cases sooner rather than later. Also, a lot of families of the black culture are afraid to contact the police just based on their own fear. Fear of what may take place. Fear of the unknown. And the other thing that really irks me is that a lot of these cases of these missing children get marked as runaways, when in reality I really believe that a lot of them are definitely not runaways. So those cases get even less attention. One really great thing I was actually able to come across in my research was a website called Our Black Girls. This website has everything you can potentially think of when it comes to missing black females, whether the cases were indicated that they were murdered or missing, or that they considered these cases hit and runs. Everything that you can think of, any sort of suspicious situation is also up there. They have to put it all out there, and I really believe this website does not have much attention at all, as it really does need to, so I would recommend everyone check it out. I will start to use them as a resource when it comes to specific cases as well. You can find just about anything here, and I really want them to get the attention that they need and eagerly deserve. There's also a podcast as well called Our Black Girls. I don't know exactly what platform they're on currently. I wasn't able to find that part out, but there is a direct link to their podcast on the website. I really think the eyes and ears need to be on these cases a little bit more. So let's put some more light out there into the world and see what we can do with these cases. Knowledge is definitely key. Advertising is key. You guys can also help by sharing this episode onto your Facebook platform so that more people can listen. Or if you are in any groups that are connected to these particular individuals that we do cover this month, you can place a link of the episode in those groups as well. So everybody else has the opportunity to listen as well. We try our hardest to cover every single case there is, but there's only so much that we can do. You guys got to help us keep on by sharing and talking. That way we can get this conversation going. 
Absolutely. One case at a time. Now, a lot of people ask us all the time, what is the point of this? What is the point of the podcast? More so even than the prediction side of things, our biggest and main objective of this is to get answers. Honestly, trying to ring a bell in somebody's mind is to get awareness, make this case new again, put those details out there. Not every single person knows every single detail. And that is why we do this, because we want everyone possible to hear everything we can put together so we can bring home at least one of these babies. So let's keep going. So today we will be covering the case of Asha Degree. When we started to look into this case, we were immediately shocked on how little information there is out there in relation to this young girl. Asha was a beautiful, young, strong, athletic, smart young girl that was heading in the right direction of making a fantastic life for herself. She was an overachiever in basketball and baseball and her academics as well, and she strived for greatness. She was also able to be a star point guard for her basketball team, and she usually led her team to victory, and of course, her team loved her. That's awesome. Asha lived at 3404 Oak Crest Street in Shelby, Carolina. She was in fourth grade, and she also had a brother who was 10 years old, and his name was O'Brien. They both attended the same middle school. She lived in a two-bedroom duplex with her father, Harold, who worked as a dock loader, and her mother, Aquila, who built pianos. Asha was a fourth grader, and according to sources, Aquila and Harold were very overprotective parents. They attended mass every single week. Asha also had a weekly Bible study. Asha had impeccable grades and honestly was at the top of her class. The kids were meant to come home and do their homework before they can go outside and play. This was a routine that they did every single day. Another thing to note is that they did not have a computer, so the children did not have access to the internet. The kids didn't have a cell phone either, but I mean, it's pretty common back then. It really wasn't as popular as it was now with that kids have cell phones anyway. Which I think that's a very key point to this. The kids were not allowed to watch television unless their parents allowed them to, and they were also not allowed to ride their bikes outside in the neighborhood. The kids were expected to get permission for doing anything and everything. Asha's father's side of the family, the grandmother and the aunt, also lived on the same street as an extra safety precaution, I believe. Anytime the aunt would come over to visit, you know, when the parents weren't home necessarily or not around, Asha would always be very hesitant in answering the door because she didn't want to open the door unless she was given permission by her mother. Her aunt had made a statement that she never opened the door unless she got permission from her parents, even if it was her own aunt. Sounds like they were very disciplined children and she knows what her parents were and were not okay with. Asha and her brother O'Brien were really close. He was only a year older than her. And they used to walk to school together, bus together, and unlike a lot of siblings, they actually got along well at their age. She loved watching movies, she was afraid of thunderstorms, she was afraid of dogs and jumping on her, she was afraid of the thriller music video, but she was a kid, so that was definitely expected. She had an excellent singing voice, but was very afraid to do that publicly. She was, and her brother also would walk her to her fourth grade class every single day to make sure she got there right away. Now, Friday, February 11th, the kids had a day off from school. Normally, the father would work at 5 p.m. to 1 a.m., but this particular week, he had worked a 9 to 5 shift. So they did leave the kids with their Aunt Keisha. 
That evening, Asha had basketball practice in the gym at her school, and her coach, Chad Wilson, made a statement that she was her usual fun-filled self and she had a very good practice. The next day, the kids had basketball all day. This was at Burns Middle School. This particular school is approximately two minutes, maybe a drive away from where they lived in Shelby. Now, when it comes to a basketball game, Asha and her team were undefeated. But approximately three minutes before the game ended, they ended up losing. Poor kid. She definitely felt like it was her fault and she took the loss harder than anybody should at that age. But she felt very sad and struggled with the loss. She felt as though the referees were cheating. The coach even made a suggestion that it was all part of the game. I agree with Asha. I feel like they really looked at her like she was a threat. I really believe that these kids were, you know, trying to like make sure that they didn't get away with this undefeated record. But that's just me. After the basketball game, Asha headed to a sleepover with her cousins. They stayed up really late watching movies and television. The next day, she went to church with her parents, and then they went to dinner at her aunt's house, and then they came home and went to bed around 6.30 p.m. because she was tired. Yes, the kids were staying up watching movies, and that's why she had to go to sleep at that moment, and I think that's very key to this particular case. Now, that night, there was a thunderstorm, and somebody outside had hit a power line, and they lost power to their home. Unfortunately, the kids were not able to do anything, so... Mom basically said, hey, guys, head to bed. We'll have a shower in the morning. Now, it looks as though the father was still working. I'm not sure exactly when he worked till, but he did end up going and picking up some Valentine's Day candies and chocolates before heading home. According to O'Brien, he heard Asha getting in and out of bed a few times that night because he thought she might just be getting unsettled. He didn't think anything of it. The next morning, Aquila opened up the bedroom door at 5.30 a.m., She makes a statement, My son O'Brien was under the covers as he usually sleeps. I called his name and he jumped up as usual. I realized that Asha was not in her bed. I looked beside the bed because she would get up in the night and then lay there. I asked O'Brien where she was and he said he did not know. I checked the couch downstairs. I checked the kitchen. I checked every closet in the house. I went to my room and I put on my clothes and told my husband Harold that Asha was not in the house. I checked out the car. She was not there. My husband said maybe she was in my mother-in-law's house. She lived just down the road. We called my sister-in-law's house and she was not there. That's when I went into a panic mode. I checked the car next door. I didn't have any shoes on and I had to put shoes on to run outside and I called my mom and told her that Asha was not anywhere in the house. My mother told me to hang up and call the police. I threw the phone at Harold and went outside. That sent chills down my spine. So just to clarify a few things, the father checked in on the kids at approximately 12.30 a.m. After that, O'Brien heard her rustling around at approximately 2.30 a.m., and he did see her at some point. The mom had come in at about 5.30 to 5.45 a.m., so that was like three and a quarter hours unaccounted for, and she quite literally vanished. I know that there's so much to this story, but I figured we'll start a little bit earlier on this case so we could give you guys some answers as we go along. Now, our first question. Do you feel like Asha is still with us? Sadly, I do not. I really feel like she did not physically survive this fiasco. If anything, a lot of people are continuously speculating that she may have run away, but she keeps showing me that she didn't run away. 
In fact, she shows me quite the opposite. She shows me that she was tired from her sleepover and when she came home and she slept, it kind of messed up her sleep schedule. She was really struggling to fall back asleep. Because she had a nap earlier, she couldn't quite get herself back into that sleep mode. Everything was affecting her. Whether it was the kids that she hung out with, the fact that she lost the game, it looks as though she was having one of those moments we all have as adults where we sit there and worry about everything going on in our heads. She shows me she was trying her hardest to go back to sleep, but was not successful in doing so. It looks as though she had headed downstairs to the living room area. Now, she's really, really stealthy. I believe she could do this without getting anybody awake. I do not believe she turned on the television or anything along those lines. She may have gotten herself a drink. I keep seeing that she was staring out the window. Obviously, it was still dark out, but she was a curious one, and she did like to people watch, although she didn't really see anybody. So there was also apparently a book bag that she had packed, though, with some clothes and a bunch of stuff in it. Do you know if she had pre-packed that, or was that something that she did after the fact? I actually don't feel like she packed her bag previously, or even packed her bag to go. If anything, I feel like this bag was already full of items, maybe because of her sleepover. She may have just refreshed a little bit, but I think it was because she was preparing herself for her school day. I don't necessarily feel like her backpack was part of this runaway scenario, or even with going with somebody else. I understand that the backpack is a significantly big part of the storyline, but I would say it was just some things she ended up taking for her, more so convenience than anything else. And from what she shows me, her mother always told her to prepare for anything, including clothes, snacks, whatever. So Harold called the police at 6.40 a.m. He also informed the police that her book bag was gone and also her little purse. Aquila did her part. By the time 7 a.m. arrived, every neighbor was awake, every cop in the county was there, every news reporter had shown up. By 7 a.m., everything was plastered all over television as well. It looks as though everyone acted extremely quick in this situation, and it looks like everyone started to look for Asha. A lot of people thought that she ran away, but the police officer thought it was pretty young for her to run away since she was only in fourth grade, and I agree to that. Yeah, I know a lot of people think kids running away at that age is definitely uncommon, and I also agree with that. It, it isn't always the case. Not to say that she wouldn't run away or anything, I just want to put out my own personal experience. Now, I don't remember why, but I do remember when I was around her age, maybe a year younger, I decided to go to a friend's house because she invited me. It wasn't something I ever did previously. It wasn't something I ever did again. But she invited me, and I lived fairly close to my school, and the school was on the same road as my house, and it would take me maybe six to seven minutes to walk, and that was with me dragging my feet. My friend also lived around the corner and decided that, hey, do you want to come over? And I thought, yeah, I do. So I went. We ended up spending time on the phone calling whomever. I really don't remember. I just remember that she had call waiting and the phone kept beeping. And I ignored it because I didn't have call waiting. 
It was my mother trying to call my friend to see where I had gone. I didn't think of the consequences. And then my mother's friend, you know, answered the phone and told her that I was there. And instantly my grandfather came to pick me up. But of course, my mom lashed out at me, which I would expect. I didn't really understand the problem at the time. But obviously, as a mom now, I understand. But it does happen. And I was a child of abuse. My father was very physically abusive and a big drinker. So perhaps it was a deeper issue. But honestly, don't remember. I would definitely agree to that. Like, you know, most kids when they're like, I'm going to run away or they think of that, it's because they're being abused or their parents aren't being so nice to them. Maybe they are drunks or drug addicts or something or, you know, I just feel like when kids in that age, because I did have somebody who had a kid in fourth grade and, you know, even when she did have a bad day and then she came home and let's say she did something and she got punished. She was like, I'm going to run away. You know what I mean? Like the kid, kids voice that to you as a parent. Like, I'm so upset. I'm going to run away. And then you as a parent can be like, where are you going to go? And then you start jogging their memory like like I did as well, you know, to my ex's kid. Like, where are you going to go? And she's like, well, I'm, I don't know where I'm going to go. And then she's like, well, I'm going to take all my stuff. And I'm like, you can't take your stuff with you. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, I just don't think this little girl just literally was like, I'm just going to run away. Not at all. You know, and even when I was a kid, you know, I have run away from certain family members' homes, too, just because, you know, certain things have happened. But I see, though, that they did bring in some canines to try to obtain her scent. I also find dogs quite fascinating when it comes to cases like this because it makes me happy to see that we are using dogs to obtain all this information. Sadly, though, the dogs were not able to find anything. And that was extremely odd because dogs pick up on scents for days after people have been there, whether they're alive or not. A very odd situation as well is that it was raining outside and she didn't leave with a jacket either. And considering she was not the most excited about rain or thunderstorms, you would think it would be a reason she wouldn't go anywhere. There was also no sign of forced entry either into the home. All the doors were locked. Even if Asha had left, looks like she locked the door behind her. There was also no sign of a struggle anywhere in the home. Her bed was left unmade which was also very unusual for her because she usually gets out of bed and makes it right before she carries on with the rest of her day. The family was ruled out as suspects quite quickly, which is good because I agree that the mom and dad and brother had absolutely nothing to do with it. I also agree with that. I don't feel any bad vibes from her family. According to sources, there was an eyewitness indicating that he had seen her as he was driving northbound on Highway 18. And this was at approximately 3.45 in the morning with her book bag, approximately a mile from her home. He had said this, I seen the little girl down the road with her book bag. She had a little dress on and white tennis shoes and her hair was in pigtails. Now this eyewitness, his name was Jeff and indicated that he went back again to check on her and she never did look up at him. She looked like she knew where she was going and she was walking at a pretty good pace, he says. He had also seen that she walked into a field as well. Yes, and a second man came forward with his son. He had also seen something. He had indicated it was a small figure wearing light-colored clothing. He thought it might have been a woman, not necessarily a child. He also felt like it was a domestic violence thing where the woman left the house type of situation. He had sent out a signal on his radio telling other truckers that there is somebody walking along the road. Just make sure everybody was aware and that they didn't hit her. That is a key piece to the story. As soon as you said that, she wanted to stop me. Now, this guy had, you know, helpful intentions, but something helpful became pretty scary. Are you getting something? She left. Now, she left the house because she was 
bound and determined to get something. I feel like it may have been something Valentine's Day related. I keep seeing a conversation that happened between her mother and her father. I'm thinking it was on the phone and I believe it was before bedtime. Something about wanting to do something nice for the kids. And I feel like she took that and was like, you know what? I want to do something nice for mom and dad and my brother. And I think that's the reason she left the house. Do you know what she wanted to do? Not exactly. She took her purse. So it is possible she had money in there. Maybe a very small amount of money. Maybe she was trying to collect items to make something special for her family. Maybe something connected to flowers too. I do not feel like her intentions were to go far. As far as she normally is allowed to leave. Now she wasn't too scared because there was light outside and the lights were back on. She knew that everybody in the neighborhood would still be sleeping as it was pretty early. The issue was is that she ended up getting lost. She shows me she made a wrong turn. She usually has her brother by her side to kind of guide her. It looks as though she was trying to find her way back home and then started to panic. She didn't recognize some of the areas and some she did. She didn't really understand how to get back to her place. It was definitely not the area she would ride her bike in, especially alone. And she may have been here with family in the past. I'm going to say that this first gentleman that she had seen, Jeff, I think he was the one who did scare her a bit, offering her some help. And he's a stranger, of course, so she ignored him. She was also scared that he was going to get out of his truck, but he didn't. So she headed into the forest thinking it was the safer option in the moment. I can't imagine she must have definitely been so scared. Maybe she was trying to buy something at the convenience store close by for her family. Absolutely. And yeah, she was having some raw fear, even crying. As soon as she felt safe again, she popped back onto the road. And I think she may even have hesitated on which direction she came from until she had seen another truck. And from what I gather, she was less afraid of the dark than the strange man. Was it that man, Roy, that put out the announcement on his radio? It was not. He is, in fact, innocent. But I can tell you this. His radio call, you know, his intentions were good, but he also informed a predator, a man that likes to hurt women, someone basically that should not have gotten that. And from what I gather, this person has hurt and killed people and children in the past. So he was alerted to the area and he pursued her. What are the odds? What are the odds of all this crazy stuff happening all at the same time? By the way, good call on the convenience store. I do feel as though she was trying to obtain an early treat, specifically for her brother. And yes, I think he had a bit of a sweet tooth. And to comment on your earlier statement, the trucker who approached her was a predator, right? Yes, that is the consensus I'm getting. She shows me that Although lost, she was hoping that the daytime would come soon so she could find her way back. Maybe one of her family members would see her. She also tells me she was waiting in the forest until the light came, but then she started to get scared, so she headed back into the road for that particular reason. So there was a barn. Did she ever go to that barn? I don't believe she did. I honestly feel as though that was all planted later, but not too much later. From what I can see, she had been approached by this person in the truck. I feel like this truck was a semi. It did have a big load. I feel like it was white, and I feel like it was a fairly old truck. 
I feel as though he asked her if she was okay, and she did exactly what she had done to Jeff. She said absolutely nothing, tried to run off, but he did continue to press her and tell her that he could help her. He knows that she's lost because his first friend had seen her, and he was sent there to make sure she was okay, and that her parents were looking for her. I think he lied to her through his teeth. Now, I don't necessarily feel like she completely trusted his story at all, but it stopped her from running a little bit because she had some familiarity. I feel like this guy was Caucasian. I keep seeing that he lives way out of this area. I feel like he was headed towards maybe Alabama. I believe he just dropped off a load, perhaps in Virginia, heading back towards Alabama. And I feel like he traveled this road quite often. It was a consistent route for him. I feel like he knew it well. And I do feel like he was alerted to this little girl and didn't know it was a little girl until he got there. So he was trying to help her carry on her journey and trying to help her get back home. That was the lie he told her pretty much. But going back to the appearance of this particular individual, I also believe he had a green and black baseball cap on, flat rim. He was approximately 45 to 50 years old at the time. I would say he was pretty strong and pretty tall in stature. He was also somebody who had like fuzzy dice. I also feel like he had a key with a rod on it that was used to fight off an attacker, which I actually believe is made for women. I keep seeing that this disgusting person had injured women in the past. He may have killed a few prostitutes, potentially a few homeless people. I feel as though he usually doesn't get a child, though. I'd say it was very rare, but he's also pretty antisocial. He did have one other child in the past, maybe even two. So he basically knows how to be a predator, and he obviously felt the inclination to approach her. Yep, and I see he got himself out of the truck. She was pretty scared at that point. I feel like she didn't know what to do, but she did start to run. Now, she is very athletic and can really get away easily. And I feel like that is exactly what happened. Although he was not quite as fast as she was, I do feel like there were other factors. She had her bag. It was raining. Things were wet. She might have been slipping and sliding. I feel like this man had a preparation for the wild. So in retrospect, I feel like he ended up just catching up to her. Was it just him or was there anyone else around or involved? I feel like the sounds of the highway muted a lot of the sounds in the forest when he was running around. And I feel like he was trying to get her. And although she wasn't screaming, she was crying. And he did finally get her. He was the only one to see anything around. I feel like he picked her up and she was fighting him the entire way. He told her that if she stopped, he would not hurt her. I do feel like she did stop out of fear more than anything else. He did try to make conversation with her, but she really wasn't having it. She was whimpering most of the time. Poor kid. Such good intentions in such a bad, bad situation. <sighs> no kidding. He put her back in his truck. I don't feel like he hurt her at this point. I do see that he had handcuffs, though. I feel like this part I'm a little confused about. I don't know if he left her in the truck. She shows me she was sitting in there for a while. This could have been a time where he planted the other evidence in the particular barn. I'm not entirely sure. I do feel, though, he was going through her stuff at some point as well, and I feel like that's when he left her bag. He didn't want any identification anywhere near her. So here's my question, though. Let's say that he did leave those items to throw their scent off surrounding Asha and her disappearing. What was with that photo? 
I have been analyzing this photo for the last couple of days, trying to see if I can channel the little girl. Now, we were able to determine a lot of people think that this is the same little girl missing from 1992, Lenora Jones. She went missing in Washington, and I have been staring at both of these photos trying to channel either one of these kids, and I have yet to do so. But I don't have that tingling sensation that it is Lenora in any way. I feel like she's no longer with us. I'm just not able to channel her right yet. I will definitely try to channel her later though. So at this point, it's still very iffy, but I'm, I'm, I'm going more towards the side of no, not her. So as you all know, we have our special friend, Eileen Mornos, <laughs> who hangs out with us. So I know she was giving her two cents about this particular case. She really enjoys getting involved in our cases now, especially when it has to do with little girls or women who have been kidnapped, murdered, you name it. She's all about it. <laughs> Eileen confirmed to me that this man who kidnapped this little girl is no longer with us, too, that he died. And I feel like he died a while ago. She said she was looking to hunt him, I guess. Anyways, from what I feel in this situation, I feel like he took her back to wherever he lived, which, like I had said before, Alabama is the direction. I'm not entirely sure, though. I just keep stopping at that point on the map. I use my pendulum. My pendulum goes really crazy when I stop at this part of the map. That's crazy. And for those of you who don't know, Liz sometimes does need to use a pendulum to obtain details of perhaps maybe where someone might be. Sometimes it can guide her in the direction and sometimes it doesn't. This case, it did go a little crazy. Definitely. And I try to triple check my answers always. I felt my own intuitive ability and then I also use the tools just to be on the safe side to kind of give me that, you know, reassurance that I'm right. He took her back out this way. So did he hurt her then? I believe he did hurt her over time, but I feel like he held on to her for quite some time as well. I wouldn't say it was past a year because... He didn't have the capability or means to take care of her emotionally or physically. He was always on the road. I keep seeing she was in a room with no doorknobs. I do not see she was able to get out. She's a very smart kid and she did try her absolute hardest. She had a very small window. I feel like the window did have like a double pane on it. And he did have previous kids, like I said previously in there. And I, I keep seeing that, you know, he never brought men there and it was only women as well. Sometimes he wouldn't even bring the women home, but he did have a bed in there and a bedpan. I think he would feed them food, but honestly, there was no freedom. She also tells me that the bodies were definitely buried around the property that belonged to other people. She doesn't show me that her own body was buried on the property, but many others were. I just don't understand how all these people could obtain these properties and take kids and, you know, pay bills. And it just blows my mind. Well, you know, murderers have to keep their properties so that they can keep their graves. But going back to the case for just a moment, some of these kids that had communicated with Asha just a few days before she went missing, she showed her friends that she had some money, obviously just a few dollars, but it was enough to get excited about for a little girl. Absolutely. And those few dollars were definitely burning a hole in her pocket. She wanted to spend that money and she was trying to, you know, do it to come up with this beautiful Valentine's Day gift for her family. So sweet. There are other details attached to this case and other details that we do plan to get into. But unfortunately, we are going to have to go into a part two. We will have a couple of details to uncover that we have some evidence on. And also Asha has her own experience 
that she wants to talk about because she was in his care for a little less than a year. And we won't be able to complete that in this episode. So you guys have to keep an eye out for that part too. Yes, anytime we start into these cases, we never anticipate what we're going to run into. But definitely one of those cases, a part two will be coming. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. Next week, we will be covering Alexis Patterson. That will be on the exclusive side of the podcast. Also, another kid case. So prepare yourself for that. We also have a very excited bonus option coming this month. I can tell you this. All patrons and new patrons will have an opportunity to win an episode of their choosing for this month. So make sure to join that Facebook group called Freaked Out Podcast to get all those details. Yes, Catherine has some really cool ideas and Landon too. And the both of them have been brainstorming. So I'm excited for this to come to flourish. All right, guys. Remember, stay freaked out.